everybody to Beyond the Shadows. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker coming to you. This is the actual video live stream now on, well, it's actually a secret uh, Facebook group, but you can get to it through the Connected Universe portal, connecteduniverseportal.com. Become a member out there and you get to the video live stream. Uh, we do, of course, post the audio version later on you know, all those great platforms like Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, iHeartRadio. And then Saturday night, midnight, it goes up on uh, KGRA Radio. That's KGRADB.com uh, for those who have not yet checked that out. So, all right, let's go ahead and get into tonight's show, which is brought to you by 100 Road Roast. It helps you hunt ghosts. <laughs> So tonight, what am I not allowed to say about shadow entities? Uh, this was a really crazy thing that uh, happened to me very, very recently on another show in that I was not allowed to talk about shadow entities in any way, uh, shape or form, which to me was absolutely bizarre. And uh, so essentially what has happened is there is a... Uh, copyright on the word shadow people. Um, and I'll say the word here because that, that is a truth. Uh, there is a copyright on the word shadow people. And I see Victoria Monday has joined. Thank you, Victoria Monday, my co-hostess from Edge of the Rabbit Hole. Yeah, I know it's going to take a few minutes for people to find the way from the uh, Connected Universe uh, page. I'll send everybody the uh, proper link so you have it like in your inbox or whatever. Um, later but you can you can uh find it at connecteduniverseportal.com so let me go ahead and give you the uh, details so trademark this actually happened last year i only found out about this a couple months ago and fortunately it went into effect like whew, like two months uh after my book came out uh, a walk in the shadows a complete guide to shadow people which came out january last year this thing uh this trademark went live in March and what's trademark on is essentially everything. So uh, here we go. Downloadable electronic publications, namely books, newsletters, and magazines in the field of the paranormal. Downloadable digital materials, namely graphics, video game software, software applications for use in connection with smartphones, tablet computers, and other portable electronic devices for accessing, viewing, and interacting with content from websites. Um, printed matter, namely books, new newsletters, and magazines in the fields of horror and of the paranormal. Uh, first use in commerce. Um, it says first use in commerce, 2001, 1031, and also first use in commerce for the previous 2014, uh, 429. And then we have entertainment and educational services in the nature of radio programs, talk radio, and interactive programming in the nature of online interactive educational exhibits in the field of the paranormal entertainment and educational services, namely providing a website featuring informational, textual, graphical, and multimedia materials in the field of the paranormal for entertainment purposes only. Electronic publication or electronic publishing services, namely publication guides and newsletters online through the internet. Entertainment services, namely providing audiovisual content in the nature of a website featuring non-downloadable videos in the fields of horror and of the paranormal first use 2002-04-07 first use in commerce 2002-04-07 so basically like everything books videos uh ebooks 
you know, you name it, uh, you know, websites, all of that. Um, can't use the term shadow people because it's right there. I will beg to differ on all of these first uses because um, the term shadow people has been in use forever, like an extremely, extremely long time. We're going to be getting into all of this. I see uh, Rick Gabbert has also joined, which is great. Um, and there's Tom McNicholas. All right, great to see you, Tom. So what happened the other night was, um, and it was, you know, a very, very popular radio show, um, probably the most popular one in the field of the paranormal and supernatural. A couple hours before the show, I got a call from the producer um, saying, you know, that I couldn't use this term, shadow people. And if there were other terms that I could use instead, if I wanted to talk about uh, this activity, I said, well, yeah, sure. You know, I could, I could say shadow entities, shadow beings. You know, we, we talk about, you know, black smoke. And, Immediately shut me down. I was like, no, no, no. You can't use the word shadow. And I'm like, well, what do you mean I can't use the word shadow? What's been trademarked is shadow people, not the word shadow. And so this is like, this is like trademarking the word ghost or angel or something like that. And like, nobody can like talk about ghosts or angels or, you know, you know, poltergeist or anything like that. I mean, um, I have to look it up. I think, you know, Ghost Hunters is probably trademarked, right? So does that mean, like, anybody from Ghost Hunters or whoever owns that trademark can go after anybody that calls himself a ghost hunter and say, nope, that's trademark, you can't use that? Um, I've been coming up with all kinds of analogies um, over the last couple of days. Victoria had a, a really good one. She said, that's like, that's like trademarking the word uh, or the words uh, chocolate chip cookie, and it's and it's like, yeah, it's like trademarking the word chocolate chip cookie and then not allowing anybody to talk about cookies. Because that's essentially what I was told, because shadow people is trademarked that I was not allowed to talk about shadows. I could not use the word shadow. And, you know, when I said, well, you know, you know well, shadow entity, shadow beings, they're like, no, that's the same thing. I'm like, what? You're, you're trademarking the words. Okay. I can use different words to describe the same thing you can't it, basically it what it's doing is it is um m monopolizing the entire field of study basically to um you know so that one person is able to sh is able to control the narrative is, is basically what this is one person is able to control the narrative because one person has uh trademarked shadow people in you know these places because they talk to lawyers or whatever her lawyers um, they weren't going to, um, you know, allow anybody to talk about shadow phenomena, which is absolutely insane. And, um, you know, I came up with, with another one today, uh, cause I was using another example, like it's me, you know, or trademarking pyramid tasks and not allowing anybody to talk about, you know, uh, the Giza pyramids or hieroglyphs or, you know, anything like that. But I, I, I have one better than that. It's like, um, you, you look at, but kind of using the same uh, analogy here with, uh, with Egypt, uh, you know, it's like you see the conflict between like Zahi Hawass, um, director of uh, Egyptian antiquities, and does a lot of, you know, research and excavations and everything over there. Uh, and people like Robert Schock and Graham Hancock and Robert Vall, who have looked at the greatest things, most specifically Robert Schock and, you know, uh, teamed up with John Anthony West, who's you know uh, passed away a couple of years ago, uh, to date the Sphinx even older 
than previously thought. So there's there's a conflict there between these two parties. So this is like Zahi Hawass coming along and trademarking the name the Great Sphinx so that the others, like Robert Schock and Graham Hancock and all of those, are blocked from talking about the Great Sphinx and giving their opinion on it. Um, it's absolutely bizarre and crazy. And so this is now costing me time and money to, you know, have to look up law and have to hire lawyers and find out what it is, you know, I can do um, so that I'm not blocked from talking about this stuff on, you know, radio programs and television shows and all that. You know, I was, you know, I feel confident that I'm allowed to use, you know, other terms, you know, shadow entities, shadow phenomena, whatever, to talk about this this type of you know phenomena to talk about uh, these types of things that happen within the supernatural world um you know it would be like if somebody uh if somebody came around in in trademarked god or jesus and all of a sudden um you know you know the churches can't you know talk about their faith anymore right so um it, it's it's pretty insane um and if and you know if this is saying we can't use it for books, newsletter, magazines, um, in horror or the paranormal. So, um, yeah, this is uh, really, really bizarre. And this is a term, you know, it, and you see these, uh, you know, first use, you know, 2014-04-29, first in commerce, 2014-04-29, uh, you know, these different, these different dates, uh, 2001, 1031. These are, these are BS. These dates are absolutely BS. Uh, because this term has been around forever. First use in commerce, and we'll get to some of that. I know there's some probably uh, uh, comments down here. Victoria Monday saying she has to prove that her uses of shadow people is used differently than everyone else's use of the term shadow people. Um, what is this? Here, solve your problem. Victoria says shadow people shall now be known as paranormal penumbra. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Oh, wow. So let's get into some of the, uh, well, we're, we're going down the rabbit hole of shadows this episode. So for the first live stream back, um, this is where we're going. And uh, for those that are listening to the podcast later, uh, I know you're not going to see some of these images, but I think you'll get enough of the, the context here. So. Uh, let's get into, okay, so Shadow People, first of all, is used in more than just paranormal supernatural. It is a, you know, kind of a universal term. Here's an example here, uh, back in the 80s, you know, and uh, you can find this stuff all over the place. You can find newspaper articles, magazine articles, books, all of that, all over the place using this term. So this is one in which they're using the term Shadow People in the, eight, in the 80s um, to describe, uh, basically, I, I'll just read it. Um, that is what is the, this has happened in China, where the shadow people gather illegal immigrants to Beijing who come from the Chinese countryside, hoping to found, find work as housekeepers. So this is a term that they use to describe uh, illegal immigrants within China. Um, there are also uh, these horrific murders <laughs> in which a uh, ugh, it was an elderly landlady who was cashing in on. Social Security, um, Social Security checks from her tenants, Dorothea Montalvo Puente, 
Uh, and so again, term shadow people, shadow people, the target of landly landlady prosecutor says, cause these people had died, but, uh, they were still in the system cause they were getting their social security checks and she was, uh, cashing them. And it wasn't really that they died. She, um, she buried them in the backyard. Um, so, you know, these were actually murders. She was murdering them to get their social security checks and cash them. But these were known as shadow people because they were still in the system, existed on paper, but were not actually real. And that is, you know, actually a pretty common term. Like if you talk about, um, you know, spies or, uh, well, here's, I have a, another example here off on the side, uh, English language and usage. Uh, so in politics, the term controlled opposition describes people who appear to be leaders, but who are actually working for the dark side. However, there are also lots of low profile enemy agents, including undercover cops and attorneys and spies who pose as ordinary citizens. Uh, these are referred to uh, collectively as shadow people. So people that, exist but really don't within a system again this you know is a term used in espionage uh shadow people so this is a term that is used not only in the paranormal but uh you know all over you know, it, it's it's a pretty common term um you know her intention of course is to you know is to use it within the paranormal but you know her you know for her to exclusively have uh the use of it so if anybody wants to i mean my book is named a Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People. If that had been published after March of last year, I would have been in trouble with the title. Um, it throws a huge monkey wrench into my plans with the shadow dimension because, um, you know, as as I interviewed people and even as I was talking, I mean, that's a term that that I used. So, you know, I'm, I'm this is why I'm like going to have to, you know, track down lawyers and everything to, to deduce, okay, um, you know, how can we do this? Because, you know, it's an informational documentary, docuseries, you know, on this type of phenomenon. You can't trademark the phenomenon itself. It's something that actually happens and exists. You have your term out there, fine. If you, you know, and I know a lot of people are going to rail against that, you know, how can you do that? Because usually it's like, what, what are we talking about for like trademarks? We're usually talking about, um, you know, a brand, right? Like Nike and the Nike swoosh, you know, those are trademarks. Yeah. You, you, you can't use that, you know, that name and that, uh, logo without express written permission. Fine. Got it. Um, that's usually what it's used for or like, um, phrases. You know, I actually, back in the day when I was doing game design stuff, had trademarked the phrase games you experience. So, you know, you see that a lot with other, again, it's a branding thing. Um, what's, um, you know, like, like McDonald's and other, you know, they have their phrases that they use and then they trademark those so that, um, like, well, uh, back to Nike, just do it, you know. So using it for commercial purposes to promote a brand, they're trademarked. I mean, I can just, I can say just do it, whatever, in a podcast or I can write that as a um, as a sentence in a book or whatever, I can't, you know, use that as, I guess probably, I probably couldn't use it as the book title. Um, I certainly could not take a shoe 
and put just do it on the side and sell that because <laughs> that's basically you know Nike's Nike's trademark. So you know those are the cases in which this is usually used. So to to see it come out as you know shadow people is you know really really bizarre. So all right, let me uh, take a look at your your comments down here because the the chat is not really scrolling very well here. Um, and Nicole's pointing out the term shadow person was also used in a Twilight Zone episode in the 1980s. Uh, X-Files used the term shadow man. Absolutely. Uh, yep. So we see it in a lot of uh, pop culture for sure. There was, I mean, you see it like today um, in over the last, you know, 25 years that you know, shadow people has been constantly referred to in all the paranormal shows, so Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, uh, you know, we talked about it on The Haunted, um, what, um, Kindred Spirits, right? So all of those different shows end up talking about shadow people. They could probably dig up dozens and dozens of episodes in which they talk about it. There was a movie uh, some years back called Shadow People that starred Dallas Roberts, and people may remember Dallas Roberts from, um, what was it, season three, I think, of The Walking Dead. I forget the exact character's name. Uh, you know, so we've seen this in our pop culture. There have also been documentaries on Shadow People. My docuseries is not like the first one that's been done before on this type of phenomenon. Um, you know, it's it's been out there. The other one that is, I guess, in the process of being uh, trademarked is the hat man. And how many times do we refer to that type of entity in regards to shadow phenomena? You start talking about uh, shadow entities, you start talking about the man with the hat, you know, so that's, uh, you know, so that's also in play here. And that's, I've seen documentary specifically, boom, you know, this type of phenomenon uh, with these, you know, shadow entities. So, you know, that is going to become a, you know, a real roadblock. And I, I have not seen this before in, in other arenas. Like I said, you know, using like, you know, uh, you know, like the Great Sphinx, you know, nobody's trademarking the Great Sphinx to block people from, you know, you know, writing books or, you know, creating documentaries on the Great Sphinx, you know, um, you don't see that in, in other areas either, you know, it's so, you know, nobody is, Nobody's trademarking the Colosseum so that you, you can't talk about the Roman Colosseum. You know, it's just, you know, it, it is absolutely uh, bizarre to me. So this is, um, this is going to be an issue. So let's get into the, the origins of, of this because um, you, you look at some material that's online. It's actually incorrect. So um, People point to, and I've been asked the question before, the Art Bell episode with the uh, you know, the Native American guy that called in saying that I see shadow people. And for somehow, some reason, and I guess it's an internet thing, you know, somebody typed up, this was the first time, um, you know, a, a discussion was started about this. No, no. Um, shadow people have been talked about for a long, long time. This was certainly not the first time. And going back to... Um, like first time in print. So let's uh, let's get into some of this stuff here. So, all right, this is The Shadow People by Margaret St. Clair. This is from 1969. Um, you know, this is talking about interdimensional beings. Now, it is a work of fiction, 
Um, but again, this is is pop culture predates uh, you know all those dates uh, that were there in the uh, in the trademark application. Uh, well, I guess it's a it's a live trademark now. So you know this is you know we're, and we're going to keep going. You know these are just examples. Okay, um, there are plenty more to go around, and like Nicole was, was already posting, you know, X Files and other shows have, have already had this. And Nicole's going straight to USPTO to uh, trademark the Great Sphinx. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, all right. So that's Shadow People, Margaret St. Clair, and I'm trying to get my my notes up here. Basically, I have talked about this stuff before. Uh, you know, I have a video on the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel that gets into some of this. I included it in, um, well, my second edition of the book in some of my Unveiling the Shadows material. Uh, so this may, some of this may not be too unfamiliar for uh, some of you who are, are actually watching. So another one as we get into it, and, and some of these were just kind of... Um, Oh, yeah, this was the other remark that I wanted to make. Uh, I kind of uh, skipped over this for a second. So a Native American coming on the Art Bell show to talk about uh, shadow activity makes complete sense. This is a uh, 1800s painting of the Choctaw, a Native American tribe. Yeah, it's part of their culture, okay? Uh, it is actually part of their culture when we talk about shadow entities. So... With the Choctaw, and, and each tribe is going to have their uh, different terminology, but uh, they have a belief in which there are you know, two, two parts of the soul. Uh, the one is the Shalambish, the outside shadow, and the other is the Shalup, the inside shadow or ghost. So uh, the Shalup, the inside shadow at death, goes on to the land of the ghost, so basically the afterlife. The shalombish, the outside shadow, remains on earth. So that is your shadow person still roaming around on earth. So, you know, a, a Native American coming on to Art Bell's show in 2001, saying something about, you know, I see, I see shadows or whatever, it's already part of their culture. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, again, this has been around for a long, long time. Uh, we go back into uh, other mediums. This is uh, 1974. Uh, uh, Among the Shadow People is the name of the article. Um, this is a uh, Joan Lounden is the uh, Loundes is the writer, Sun Art Critic, and basically this is artwork that a guy created, kind of creepy looking. Um, and these were uh, these these strange pieces of. I, 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 I'm not sure what they're made out of, but there's, you know, these tall sculptures that are, they look like your classic shadow entity, humanoid figure, you know, no eyes, no mouth, no, no features whatsoever on the face. It's just this, you know, bipedal type form with no features. Um, his are, these are more whitish in nature. I mean, we're, I'm looking at a black and white photo, so it may have been gray or something like that. Um, but you can see that uh, 
in just some of the notes here, as though these insubstantial bodies were even transparent. Uh, their, their bent heads, their lassitude contribute to a certain fluidity of line. The figures are highly uh, schematized with only an attitude captured. So um, very, very strange. But these were his shadow people pieces of art. You know, and you can see it's, it's essentially based off of what everybody views a shadow entity as. So then there's, and I did not size this the right way, darn it. All right, then there's this interesting piece that it's actually a Men in Black story. Let me grab that real quick here. It's actually a Men in Black story, but to me, it was a classic uh, shadow person type story. So this goes back to 1962, Albert Bender, uh, who was very involved in the UFO community uh, back then. He had written several books, and in one of them, and he had been kind of uh, MIA for a while, uh, resurfaced in 1962 with a book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, in which he told the following story. Uh, late one night, working in his office, he started to feel ill. And these are my notes from uh, when I did the Men in Black episode last year. Or was it the year before? I think it was last year. Uh, he decided to lay down, and when he did so, he saw three shadowy figures with shining eyes and wearing fedoras materialized through the wall. He stated that these beings communicated with him telepathically and that they were aliens. With the publication of his book with this story, people began to wonder if the men in black were extraterrestrials who were trying to suppress the, the disclosure of their presence on Earth. Well, when we talk about shadow entities... A lot of times a question gets brought up, are they extraterrestrials? Of course, you know, I, I believe like a true shadow person is an interdimensional being, but some interdimensional beings could also be extraterrestrials. So what he observed there may have been shadow entities as extraterrestrials. And oh, by the way, they're wearing the hats. And, and, that, and a lot of times when people report uh, seeing these type of entities wearing hats, a lot of times they come in threes. So he's writing a story about the men in black and you know related to UFO activity, but this is actually a classic shadow entity sighting. You know, right here in 1962. Um, it, so it kind of gets miscategorized. Again, nothing new. This stuff has been happening, you know, forever for a long, long time. So. Uh, let me get back into the comments here real quick. Uh, Tom McNicholas, you should trademark Hunter Road Rose. It helps you hunt ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and people are still talking. Sarah and Victoria uh, still talking about the uh, the trademarking stuff. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, and Victoria uh, posts there uh, from uh, the first time the topic of shadow people was discussed at length on the show's April 12, 2001, when Native... When uh, host Art Bell interviewed Native American elder Thunderstrikes, who was also known as Harley Swift Deer Reagan, uh, during the show, listeners were encouraged to submit drawings of shadow people. Yeah, that's what gets attributed to, you know, this like first you know, report of shadow people. But we're going to keep going back. We're going to keep going back, and you'll continue to see. Uh, again, I've kind of covered this before, but um, in in other material that I've put out there, but. Um, 
you know, it's there's some extra stuff in here, and because uh, this one was specifically drawn from the Men in Black, I have not included this with uh, uh, with Shadow Entity stuff before. So continuing to go back, well, here's a 1957 poem by Francis Ledwidge called "The Shadow People." Old Lane Bridget doesn't hear fairy music in the grass when the gloaming's on the mirror and the shadow people pass. And it goes on. <laughs> it never hears their slow gray feet coming from the village street just beyond the parson's wall where the clover globes are sweet and their mushrooms parasol. So, I mean, it's describing in interaction with shadow people walking down the lane. I mean, nothing menacing or anything like that. Um, so, uh, you know, it ends with the line, oh, and I would be wild and free and with the shadow people be. So, you know, here's a, a poem specifically titled The Shadow People from 1957. We'll keep going back. And these are just like, you know, random things I've picked out. There's so much more. There's so much more. Um, 1930, Irish shadow people. Professor, Gil Professor Gillen tells of Irish shadow people. Uh, recreating this is a newspaper article. It's for uh, an event that's going to happen. Recreating the Shadow People in his interpretation of Irish legendary poetry, Professor C.F. Gillen of the French Department at the University entertained the Arden Club at the Sunday evening discussion group. Professor Gillen chose selections for his reading which described the Irish attitude and philosophy. He captured the whimsical in the poem in Carrie Melia, reproduced the ardent loyalty and generosity of the land of Aaron in poetry chosen mainly from the writings of Ledwidge and Yeats. So, um... Yeah, so again, you know, this professor, uh, Gillen, from the French department, talking Irish stuff, but he's taking, um, you know, Irish legends of shadow people and just, you know, he's just presenting them, uh, you know, for the, uh, for the students. So, you know, again, it's, you know, these things it exist. You know, these are, you know, here are some Irish legends and it, the article is simple. The guy's just presenting. But again, showing that these things have been with us throughout all time. You know, you can't sit there and say it first showed up in print in this millennia when <laughs> it's clearly, you know, I, you're seeing some stuff from last century, but it's predating it. You know, Irish, Irish legend predates the 20th century. Come on. All right. As we continue forward. So 1909, land, the land of the shadow people. Uh, this is from the New York Evening Journal. So, all right, how many of us live with our backs to the light, studying and believing in shadows? A great new truth in the spiritual life of man is as beautiful as the rising sun in the life of our planet. Yet the great majority of men are turned toward the darkness of the past. They will not see the sun or face the light. Our thoughtful readers will appreciate a brief allegorical study of humanity, which is sent to us by Charles Kurtz Hahn and published in this column. This is Mr. Hahn's story of the shadow people. Again, and this is 1909. Okay, now we're past 100 years. It's still going. It is still going. So, um, Sarah Yusuf asked a question here. Let me turn this thing off for a second. 
All right. She asks, how do these accounts differ from cultures that openly embrace the paranormal versus ones that don't? Uh, good question. So each culture has their own variation of the tale and we'll get to that, you know, kind of at the very end and kind of have like a laundry list and, you know, it's, it's specifically on uh, the old hag syndrome type of shadows, but yeah, every culture has their own variation on, you know, shadow entity tales. You know, there's different legends and lore about, you know, who they are, what they want, what their intentions are. Uh, but it's really they're, they're observing all the same phenomena. It, it's always, um, you know, either a figure or, you know, some, si some sort of, uh, you know, wispy apparition that's dark in nature. Sometimes these are you know, misty clouds, uh, they, they come off in a variety of different forms. And depending on the culture, they might attribute it to, they might attribute it to a demon. They might attribute it to ancestors long past. Um, they may attribute it to, um, you know, some of them are really weird, like, you know, the, um, uh, like a, a woman who, you know, died out of wedlock, you know, when the moon wasn't full on a certain night or something like that. You know, there are weird, like, uh, parameters for some of these different, you know, reasons why these things, you know, appear and happen. Uh, so, you know, it just really, really depends on the culture. And uh, I, I think it's more now that, um, as we've been, as we have become more civilized, that you know, people have, have strayed away from accepting the paranormal and supernatural as part of their life. I mean, it's really something that happened during the mid twentieth uh, century. That prior to that, you know, people were very open to things otherworldly, whether it was from a religious standpoint. Of course, you had the spiritual the spiritualism movement that went from like the early to mid eighteen hundreds all the way through into the early 20th century. But then it seems like from, I don't know, like uh, you know, World War II and then for the like the next 50 or 60 years, um, it was just shut down and, and shunned. And if you started talking about it, then you were an outcast and you're crazy and you're going to be locked up in a, a psychiatric facility. So there's a long period of time there where it just wasn't accepted prior to that. Um, you know, people were very open to it that, you know, and they were, you know, whether they were doing the, um, oh, like, you know, the, the table tipping or, um, you know, the Cottingly Fairies were big back in the day where Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was um, actually sanctioning, hey, let's do these again. So, you know, there was a, uh, a very open-minded attitude toward this stuff at that point. But, you know, prior to that, you know, you see, you know, the legends and folklore, you see a lot of things out of Ireland with the, you know, with their different fairy legends, and there are different, you know, different types of supernatural entities there, like the Banshees, and, um, you know, I'm specifically mentioning Ireland, because we, we just talked about that a moment ago with that one specific article, uh, but we'll see as we'll get to it later, all different sorts of, of cultures had these, uh, had these type of beliefs, so, um, all right, Continue on, and yeah, Victoria, right now for the uh, live stream, um, just to kind of define this, the live stream is on the private Facebook group, so I have the link in the community portal. I, I can't live stream it there. I mean, I, I might be able to figure out a way to embed it. 
I'm not sure. What will eventually happen is um, these will get posted out to there later on. So if like you missed the stream, um, you can you know catch it the next day or a couple days later uh, on the portal uh, website, uh, connecteduniverseportal.com website, where you can watch it there if you're unable to make it. Uh, again, it would be on the on the membership site under the Beyond the Shadow section. So, all right. So where were we? I think we were at 1909, right? And we're continuing to go back. Oh, yeah, now we're at Madame de Esperance. All right. Um, so this is uh, late 1800s. She's, uh, she's a controversial figure, admittedly. Uh, she's another, another one that did table tipping and, and things like that. Um, so these are a couple of uh, photos when she was younger. Uh, she was you know, a physical medium, uh, so she did a lot of you know, those sorts of things. Uh, you know, here's, you know, her in a net, you know, because she's going to do physical mediumship in that particular moment. Um, but this particular uh, article that I'm about to post, um, oops, clicked on the wrong thing. Okay, this was, do I have it listed here? Um, okay, this, it, it's a... Do I have the date of the article? Well, she's describing uh, growing up in a haunted house in the 1860s. If I recall correctly, uh, I think the article is like from the 1890s or something like that. Um, I just, for whatever reason, I don't have the date in front of me. But what was happening to her at first in the house that she grew up in the 1860s, uh, it was a haunted home that had both shadow entities and ghosts, apparitions. And to her, the shadows that were there were protecting her from the ghost. She was deathly afraid of, of the ghost. Um, uh, she said right here, I was hor uh, horribly afraid of ghosts. I don't know what they were, uh, but uh, and it, the typing is a little bit hard to read. Uh, I don't know what they were. I was afraid of them, afraid to move from one room to another without my shadow friend's for company. So, you know, one of the big controversies is, you know, are they, are they uh, evil? Are they all evil? Um, this, in, in this particular story, um, these shadows were not evil. They were actually protecting her because she was afraid of the ghosts. Um, now that, that changed. Um, even though she's here, like with them, I knew no fear. Dark rooms had no terror for me. Um, I would spend hours in the haunted rooms, content to know that my shadow friends uh, were in uh, sufficient protection against the ghosts. So years later, though, she grew up. And the article continues with the heading, The Shadow People Again. And she's specifically calling them uh, shadow people here. So let's get down into uh, the part of the article here. Um, so some years later, when I had exchanged the busy, occupied life of eldest daughter in a uh, large family for that of a young wife who for several hours a day was left to her own company, I was horrified to find the shadow people reappear, and I began to be tormented by the old fear of a diseased brain. I never spoke of these strange visions. I was too much afraid of people thinking me mad. 
but the uh, but the secret was a torture to me. So here she is again, specifically calling them shadow people. This is, like I said, the article is like from the 1890s. I'd, I'd have to look up the specific date. I know I have it saved off somewhere. It's just not in my notes down here. Um, but she's, yeah, I mean, this is well over 100 years ago uh, during the spiritualism movement, re- referring to these specifically as shadow people. It, that, that's in print, you know, for sure, for sure. So let me check your comments here again, see if there's any more questions. Um, uh, people want to try table tipping. That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Victoria Monday saying, that's like my shadow friends. They looked out for me. And uh, Victoria tells of a story in the Shadow Dimension docuseries you know, of a uh, friendly shadow ghost down there in uh, Old Town Spring. So some of these are rather friendly in nature. Sarah asked, do you think that xenophobia towards shadow people has increased or decreased as history goes on? Well, um, right now, I would say increased because uh, scary cells. You know, anything that you can try to bill as, you know, demonic or frightening or terrifying or scary, that sells on TV and in the movies. And that's, uh, that's a big thing that I've had to deal with when I've, gone on to shows and programs uh, to try to dispel for people because, uh, you know, people will will suggest that uh, all shadow entities are evil. And it's like, well, not all of them. You know, people have definitely had frightening experiences with shadow people. I am not going to discredit that. Yeah, absolutely. And people have had quite fine in either benevolent or benign interactions with shadow entities. Um, yeah, so I, what I say, and I, I get it really simplistic with it. You know, some people are good. Some people are bad talking about humans when it comes to these shadow entities, some shadow entities are good. Some shadow entities are bad. It just depends on their particular, you know, whatever their personality is, whatever their aim or goal is. Maybe they have some sort of agenda. It's all dependent on that particular shadow person. Um, you know, some of these shadows may even be, um, you know, currently living human beings that have astral projected to a home to check in on loved ones that live 500 miles away. And they, you know, may come off as a shadow sometimes. You know, I, I've, that's an example that I've been using here lately in some of my material. You know, a grandmother um, who lives 500 miles away, you know, from her, her daughter and her granddaughter wants to check in on them and she knows how to astral project. So what does she do at night? She decides that she's going to actual project and go, you know, watch them as they quietly sleep and checks in on the daughter and checks in on the granddaughter. And maybe one of them wakes up and sees this figure standing there, doesn't understand, you know, what it is, is terrified because, oh my gosh, there's somebody standing in my room that shouldn't be in my room right now, but it's really just grandma checking in on them, you know? So that, that can certainly happen. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, Rob Guttrell talks about his, his aunt coming in to have him deliver a message to his mother. She only came off as a shadow because she couldn't quite fully manifest. Um, yeah, that's certainly not evil. So, uh, it just depends on the intentions of, of the shadow. So, all right, let's move on a little bit here and we'll grab some more questions here in a moment. Uh, oh, wrong photo. 
So, okay, that was the Madame d'Esperance stuff. But, you know, this goes even further back. I usually take it back to um, ancient Sumer and the Sumerian culture. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a, you know, a little bit more ancient stuff here in a moment. But I'm going to talk about Egypt, which is already pretty ancient. Now, I mentioned the Choctaw and how they had um, you know, their beliefs. The, uh, you know, a person has two parts of the soul. Uh, one goes on to the afterlife and the other... You know, both different types of shadows. One goes on to the afterlife, and one stays here and roams the earth. Uh, Egypt, the Egyptians believed in seven different parts of the soul. Um, two of those, the ka, the animating force of the of the soul, uh, and the kabit, the shadow, stayed here on earth. The other parts went off into the afterlife to the constellation of Orion. So uh, this is a, a depiction of uh, the Tuma Inifer, and this is the the capet. Uh, you actually see some Ba birds here, which is uh, another part of the soul. The Ba is one of those that, that flies off to Orion, um, but basically flying away from the the shadow, uh, the structure back behind there would be representative of the tomb. Uh, and so the shadow is there to uh, you know to basically linger. And, and the bob bird is going to fly off and go into the afterlife. So uh, uh, here it is in ancient Egyptian artwork, the shadow person right there. Now, again, they had a different term because they had a different language, uh, kibbit. And the old hag legends, which uh, which I mentioned in this, it needs to get adjusted a little bit. Okay, world hag legends. So you see some of them uh, very specifically here. The old hag, sometimes the old hag, when you wake up in the middle of the night, um, sitting on your chest, you have sleep paralysis. Um, so you have Vietnam, Bong Day, held down by shadow. Uh, Sri Lanka, Amukape, ghost that forces one down. Turkey, Karabasan, the dark presser. Uh, you have Ethiopia, Dukak holds people down during sleep. Uh, Sardinia, Mutadori, chest-sitting ghoul. So you see all of these you know, different ideas, and these are just a handful. You know, there is actually a huge laundry list of, uh, you know, of these different cultures and their different beliefs. Now, these, these cultures were separated by thousands and thousands of miles for thousands and thousands of years, didn't have any interaction with each other, but they're all talking about the same thing. They're all talking about shadow activity in this, in this sense, in the idea of um, uh, of the old hag, uh, depending on how you view it. Because some of these were just described as a hag, some of them were described as a ghoul, some of them were described as a demon, uh, you know, or like the dark presser or a ghost. Uh, you see, held down by shadow, but it's all the same thing. Um, you know, going back and you know, taking it to ancient Sumer, you know, Alu, uh, who was a basically a uh, body-binding spirit, uh, but he had no features. He actually had no limbs, no arms, no legs, but he had no face, no features, no nose, no mouth. Basically, that blank type of shadow. He would hover over people at night, um, and then you'd have the binding thing like the old hag. So this phenomenon goes all the way back into the beginning of our written history. This has always been with us. This is nothing new. This is not over the last 20 years. This has always been with us. We've seen it in our pop culture for all these years. We've seen it in our history for all these years. We've seen it in different fields of study for all these years. 
It's always been with us, nothing new. And so to now be uh, restricted on using this term and then being told, I can't use variations of it by just saying like, you know, shadow entity or shadow phenomena or shadow being or something like that, because it's too close to something that's trademarked. Um, that is, that is basically, you know, monopolizing the narrative on a specific field of study in a, in a specific topic. You can't do that. Um, you know, people could say freedom of speech or, or what have you, but that's just, you know, from a research perspective, uh, that's just flat wrong. You, you can't control the narrative on the specific thing just by going out and I'm going to throw a trademark on, on the word so that you can't talk about it. You know, that, that's just insane, you know. Um, you know and, and to be told that because that's been done, I can't talk about it at all. No, no, that is just all kinds of wrong. So uh, let's get to a couple more of your questions because we are getting down toward uh, the end here. Uh, Sarah, do you believe that some shadow entities uh, do have a complex agenda? Some of them do. So I, you know, some of those that are you know coming here and watching and observing. Um, you know, and, and again, some may be extraterrestrials or some sort of interdimensional being that we don't quite understand. You know, what are what kind of information are they gathering from uh, their observations? Could even be time travelers doing the same thing. You know, watching, observing, and learning about something that um, you know had happened in the past. Maybe they need to to understand something uh, because they lost that knowledge uh, in the future. So uh, you have to think about you know if we right now were to learn similar technology, if we were to uh, learn how to time travel or, or you know, arrive at another planet somewhere, you know, what are we going to do? You know, we're going to, first of all, watch and observe. You know, um, you know, people immediately want to you know, go down and start running around the planet. You know, we see that in all kinds of sci-fi. But to understand and know what we're getting ourselves into uh, we're going to watch and observe and take samples and do tests and all of that sort of thing first. So when you hear about uh, alien abductions and things like that, I mean, that's what a lot of those things could be. And some of these shadow entities, again, could be extraterrestrials. We would do the same thing. You know, if we went to another planet and we want to understand it, we're going to collect some of the indigenous life forms and study them, <laughs> you know, to understand what they are. So, you know, that's, you know, I think what a lot of these abductions are. Um, and of course they're very scary for, you know, the person and well, the people involved, right? Uh, so and some of these agendas could be very complex. Is it because these shadow entities want global domination? And I don't know about that, you know, may, and some of them, I will say some of them do tend to have some more, uh, you know, nefarious uh, agendas. Uh, you know, people talk about some of them, uh, especially the the hat wearing ones, um, are some sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, energy vampire, and they're feeding off of you know that person's uh, energy. Uh, you know, and I totally forgot since we started talking about the hat wearing ones, getting into and we'll do this real quick because we do have a, a few minutes left here. Uh, talking about ones that are more 
integrated into pop culture. And the reason why is I forgot to bring up or I forgot to include in my set of uh, photos uh, the uh, the shadow uh, pulp fiction stories. You know, the shadow knows. Uh, Maxwell Grant was the writer. Actually, it was Walter B. Gibson using the pen name Maxwell Grant. I included part of this in the second edition. So it's it might seem a little weird, but Mothman Prophecies. John Keel actually talks about a hat-wearing shadow in this. You know, like Mothman Prophecies. I mean, he's not actually talking about the Mothman in this particular story. So he's talking about, and I'm going to read a little bit from here. Um, he's actually talking about a topa, is what he's talking about. Um, says, uh, there's an old house on a tree-lined street in New York's Greenwich Village that harbors a strange ghost. Hans Holzer and other ghost chasers have included the house in their catalog of haunted places. The phantom has been seen by several people in recent years. It is dressed in a long black cape and wears a wide-brimmed slouch hat pulled down over its eyes as it slinks from room to room. Self-styled parapsychologists have woven all kinds of fantasies about this apparition. Obviously, a spy from the Revolutionary War was caught and killed in the old house. But wait, this ghost may not be a member of the Restless Dead at all. There were never any reports of hauntings there until about 20 years ago, after the house was vacated by a writer named Walter Gibson. He was and is an extraordinarily prolific author. For many years, he churned out a full-length novel each month, and many of those novels were written in the house in Greenwich Village. All of them were centered around the spectacularly successful character Gibson created in the 1930s, that nemesis of evil known as The Shadow. If you have ever read any of the Shadow novels, you know that he was fond of lurking in dark hallways, dressed in a cape and broad-brimmed slouch hat. And he goes on here. And basically, um, his idea is that Walter Gibson's energy that he poured out and poured out and poured out into writing these novels manifested into this shadow entity of of the character that he was writing about and it ended up staying in the house so this is what we call you know, um it's the idea of the buddhist thought form uh we call it these days by the slang term the tulpa so it's like okay that that's a really interesting idea. Again, it's it's more modern pop culture. We're talking from you know 1930s and forward. Uh, Keel wrote this. When did he write Mothman Prophecies in the in the 70s? What, what's the copyright on this? I mean, this is a, a newer printing of it in 1975. Okay. So I just so happen, well, everybody knows that I read Hans Holzer as a kid. What did Hans say, have to say about this Yankee Ghost? This was like. The, my first significant ghost book that I had um, as a kid. I was given to this at, by my mother in 1987 uh, before we moved out of Massachusetts. The story, which is um, The Ghost of Gay Street, uh, was actually written in the 1960s when, when Hans uh, investigated there. But, you know, he talks about uh, the observations of this uh, of this shadow spirit there. So, uh, it, wearing evening clothes, a cape, hat, and his face somewhat obscured by the shadows of the hallway. Um, 
you know, the wife and husband both reported it like that. Um, she, she described it as a man there wearing evening clothes and an Iverness cape. And in an instant, he was gone like a puff of smoke. So you have this shadowy figure in the hallway disappearing in a puff of smoke. So that's what Hans, uh, that's what Hans reported in the 1960s. You have John Keel talking about in the Mothman prophecies in 1975. Oh, wait, but we're not done yet. Okay, let me bring up Walter B. Gibson's observations. So he reported this. Uh, he was interviewed, uh, again, this is actually in 1975, by Will Murray for Duende, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, uh, magazine. Uh, and during this interview, Gibson was 79 years old at the time. Uh, and this article says, but still impressed Murray with his clarity and knowledge on many things. Uh, during the interview, and this, is, this bit is from AnomalyInfo.com. Uh, during the interview, Gibson had a small but odd sidetrack from a larger topic he was discussing. And this, and this is where, this is an actual quote from that article in Duende. Uh, and this is from Walter B. Gibson. He says, I remember talking with Ed Burkholder. He and I had an apartment together down in the village for a couple of years. That's the apartment that's supposed to be haunted now, 12 Gay Street. Hans Holzer said it's haunted. People see a man in evening clothes moving in and out. But that was where I wrote The Last Shadow. And what they're seeing is Lamont Cranston. They're seeing what we call an after-image psychic projection, not a ghost. So that's Walter B. Gibson. Even using that better terminology, um, I'm going to have to definitely use this, after-image psychic projection. So basically he's talking about the thought form, the tulpa. Um, and he's even acknowledging, yes, this shadow is there. It's, it's not an evil demon or anything like that. It's just his character. He generated it from his mind out into this apartment that's there. So, uh, yeah. So, and that's, that's modern pop culture, folks. You know, right there. The shadow knows. I mean, come on. So, all right, let me check your uh, comments here again. So, uh, let me see what you have. Um... Tom says, yeah, wow, well, in 1987, I lived in Ohio. Yeah, I know you lived in Ohio for a while. Yeah, I had just moved back to Ohio in 87. So um, I know there are a couple other questions here. Oh, Tom, yeah, don't Egyptians also bury all the body parts after mummified to preserve their spirit? Yeah, what they do is they put them in those jars. Um, I forget the specific name for the jars, but basically, yeah, all their internal organs end up going... Uh, in those jars, and then they they keep the jars uh, nearby um, uh, near the sarcophagi. So, so yeah, they have some interesting uh, certain things that they do. Well, and even even with those scrolls, uh, and I, I mentioned this last week, the uh, uh, the scrolls from the Book of the Dead being included with that uh, with that queen's mummy that they uncovered, thirteen foot long. Uh, chapter 17 of the Book of the Dead. I, I featured a clip of this on um, on the ConnectedUniversePortal.com website in the behind-the-scenes section. Uh, I actually show you guys the Egyptian Book of the Dead. It's actually the book of going forth by a day and, and take you right to chapter 17. <laughs> like, here it is. Uh, so it's it's, uh, it's beautiful stuff, absolutely beautiful. There you go, Sarah, Canopic Jarge. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So uh, Sarah says, Gibson's description seems to describe residual hauntings. Well, I mean, really what it, 
what he's describing. I mean, it, and I guess in a sense, it might be, well, no, because residual would be more of an event that's happened. So when like, um, I don't know, somebody is at the top of the stairs, they break their neck falling down the stairs. And then every once in a while, you see that same thing play out again, again and again and again. Um, and so that's that's a residual haunting. It's just a uh, a playback of something that had happened. You know, some some people see like at old fort soldiers going through a wall where a door had once been. It's just um, you know an event playing uh, playing again. I, you hear reports in England of sometimes they see the heads of Roman soldiers uh, bobbing along the street. You know, people are like, what is that? Well, the street used to be much lower. If you were actually to take their full form, it would it would be completely there. It's just under the street, and all you can see right now is the head. It's just something playing back from long ago. What uh, Gibson's describing is this thing that he's generated, a, a thought form, um, at, at least uh, to the, the Buddhist concept, is that uh, it's its own sentient being, and there's a, uh, a fad uh, in recent years called topomancy in which in the younger generations really kind of gotten onto this where they are trying to create these sentient topas of like their favorite anime characters. So, um, and they want to have them along as, you know, friends to hang out with them. So, uh, then, so the idea is that these are supposed to be sentient beings and that's what, you know, Gibson was, was trying to describe. So, all right. So we are really, uh, down at the end here. Really do appreciate you guys uh, joining here for the the first uh, live stream of the year for Beyond the Shadows. Of course, we've had the the audio podcast going, which uh, you know you can always find the audio podcast version of this out at uh, you know Spotify and iHeartRadio and KGRA Radio. Uh, but for the live stream version of that, you have to be a member of ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Uh, the archive of this will go up to the ConnectedUniversePortal.com website. And those watching right now and asking questions, you guys are in the special secret Facebook group watching it live. So um, glad you guys appreciate it. Uh, Victoria Monday saying it was interesting. Just remember paranormal penumbra. <laughs> I'll have to try to remember that paranormal penumbra. I don't know if people are going to really understand what I'm saying if I say that. Uh, and yeah, Sarah says hello to all the people watching replay. Nicole, this was great. Glad you guys uh, enjoyed it. You know, this to me is all really fascinating stuff. You you see the trail through history of of all these different things and how um, this phenomenon has not only you know permeated our, you know, paranormal and spiritual world. It's also permeated our pop culture, and it's also there in our ancient history. It's been there for all time in so many different forms. This isn't new stuff, but it's still very fascinating and fresh to a lot of people who aren't familiar with it. So, all right, everybody, uh, again, appreciate you hanging out with me this evening. Till next time. <laughs>